lover of our souls. It is all about you. I've always liked placing that song sometimes before the sermon because it just puts the focus right where it needs to be. It is not about me. It is not about us. It is about you. As if you should do things our way. You are God, and you will be glorified, and you will be worshipped. And this is why we are here this morning. So speak through me, empower me, remove me from the equation. And when people hear my voice, may it not be my voice they hear, but your voice speaking to their hearts. Teach us your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Get your Bibles out and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're not on hope, I know that much. Frank, I didn't, there's not a file for the 2023 sermon, so I just put it on that first page. What the Bible says about. He'll catch up. This, by the way, Frank is flying solo today. David is sick, and David is at another church, so he is back there quietly serving. So I want to give attention uh, to that. Oh, Chase is back there doing the other, the other thing. Okay. Do you see it in that when you first pull up the Sunday morning PowerPoint? The 2023, what the Bible says about creation, part five, I think is what it is. 2023. It'll get up there. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 14. Let me read this to you. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. Okay. What we're going to talk about is a real briefly a what I call a creation recap, kind of go over some of the stuff we've been talking about. Uh, any luck, Frank, with that? PowerPoint? Okay. And if it's, is it possible as well, or do you need these lights on? Because I am blinded to the people. It is so much in my eyes. I know it's a little darker in here. Okay. Hopefully they can see me online now, so. Of course, that wouldn't be a bad thing if they didn't see me, in my opinion, so. Yeah. Uh, remember, I quoted Herbert Spencer, an English biologist. He coined the phrase, survival of the fittest. It was he who discovered that all reality that exists in the universe can be contained in five categories. 
uh, time, force, action, space, and matter. Okay, remember that? Well, in Genesis 1.1, I know you can turn there, obviously look up there. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, what's that refer to? Time. God is the force, created is the action. The heavens, what does that refer to? Space. And the earth is matter. So we have time, force, action, space, and matter. Now, let's talk about day one. Real, again, a real brief recap, starting at verse two. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said that there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. You may recall that this is the beginning of the first of three separations as we see God form our universe. He separates light from darkness. And so what we have here on day one is this unformed mass of matter, and of course it's enveloped in water. It's set on its axis, and it's rotating. And thus we see the cycle of rotation of days has begun, and that has continued ever since. Now since there is no sun or moon, the light covering the earth comes from God who created light. And of course, he himself exists in light. Okay? Remember 1 Timothy 6, 16? He alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. This is why you say sometimes when an angel comes down and visits a man, your guard variety angel, there's a great light. And it's not the light of God, but still it's an overwhelming light in a sense. And what happens in every instance to man when he comes in contact just with an angel? They fall down. They're, they're lifeless. They're, they're full of fear. I always laugh at when Hollywood creates an angel and it's this powerful angel and people walking around like it's nothing. You know, you know, what power do you have? And they can swing this sword wherever they have and that's their power and we're supposed to be in awe of that. No. If I want someone in battle, I'll take an angel because when the angel shows up, it's over. It's over. Okay? They just fall right down. That's day one. Separation of light from darkness. Day two, verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. So now this water that is engulfing, completely engulfing, covering the, the earth, this matter, this unformed mass, he separates, and it's as if this is a spherical mass of stuff, elements and whatnot, minerals, and then there's this water covering, and God just cuts out a circle of that water and just does this, and that water expands. And that expanse, that space in between the waters below and the water above is called what? The expanse of heavens. We also call it what? Space. In one day. In a 24-hour period, God does this and creates, look up out there, 
That is what he created. At night, you can see in a distance the stars. But he created the space for that, okay? The demonstration of power to do that is beyond human comprehension. And so that expanse above us, it's not just the sky above us, but it's also what we call the universe or space. And this is a cataclysmic event. This is not some slow process of evolution. This is an instant cataclysmic event. Again, I write, imagine the immense power and speed God displays in separating the waters and creating infinite space. And to give us some perspective, I, I told you that if a beam of light leaves today at about 11 o'clock our time, and it's traveling at 186,000 miles a second, which is 6 trillion miles a year, after 20 billion years of travel, with about 50 billion galaxies behind it, and about 100 billion stars in those 50 billion galaxies, that beam of light 20 billion years from 11 o'clock today has just reached open space. Yeah. Psalm 8.3 says this, that our little light beam has only seen the works of God's fingers. Because Psalm 8.3 says this, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers. So the heavens are simply the work of his fingers. It kind of makes not trusting God seem a little ridiculous, doesn't it, folks? <laughs> Day three. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees in the earth, bearing fruit after their kinds with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. This is the second cataclysmic event. There'll be another cataclysmic event that happens in Genesis chapters Six, seven, and eight, which is what? The flood. Peter refers to that flood uh, using the Greek word cataclysmos, which is where we get a word cataclysmic. That's why I'm using this word, cataclysmic. It is a cataclysmic event. He separates the waters and dry land, and he names the water seas and the dry land earth. Again, I write, can you begin to imagine the cataclysm that occurred when that was spoken by God. And again, he's just speaking and this then happens. So all of a sudden, the various elements in the matter that is still engulfed in, in water, in its unformed condition, buried under the depths of the surface of the sea, it starts to work and move and it pushes up and creates to the surface dry land. So literally speaking, a continent is formed. And most people believe, whether you are a, a theologian or not, that the first earth was just one big continent. You probably learned in your secular biological or, or geology classes that the different continents all seem to fit together in a puzzle. We believe that that happened after the flood. 
but it was a cataclysmic event of, of creating this, you know, one big continent, dry land, which would also explain why God could call animals from all over the world to the ark. They didn't have to travel over water. Okay? Anyways. So continent is formed. The water moves. It gathers itself into one place. There are tremendous chemical reactions that are underway as the elements combine with each other to form the complex of minerals and rock and soil, uh, making up solid earth, its crust. The mantle, the core of the earth, is created on this day. He also creates multiple subterranean interconnected water reservoirs, including lakes, streams, rivers, springs, and fountains. The Bible calls the waters the fountains of the great deep. This is why when we drill for water, if you're not by a pond, what do you do? Drill down the ground, and there is water. So it was created that way. Okay? But what is also to note in day three is that God creates vegetation. And specifically, it is mature vegetation. It's mature because it already has producing seeds that will then reproduce and produce other fruits and vegetables and so on. So this vegetation has a capability for reproduction. And the earth is now ready to sustain life. Okay? The only thing that's, that's missing will be heat that will come from the sun, which is day four, which we'll talk about in a moment here. But because it's ready to sustain life, God saw that it was good. It has been good until now. Because he's forming the earth for who? Man and animals. So to recap, day one, the material to shape the universe into its final form in, and light are created. Day two, the expanse of heaven between the waters above and the waters below is created. Also, God separates the dry land from the water which he gathers into seas and creates the trees and the plants. That's on day three. And that brings us to day four. And what we find is God going back from the earth into heaven and filling the vast expanse of heaven with lights. Day four, Genesis 1, 14 to 19. Can I put this up there? We've got to get past this stuff. Here we go. Then God said, verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens and to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you is you're going to see this, this beautiful correlation of day four to day one. On day one, God created light. What does he do on day four? God created the lights that become the means by which light is transmitted. Or to put it another way, the light he created in day one, he attaches to the stellar bodies, i.e. the sun, the moon, and the stars. And I'll explain this in greater detail in a moment, but as we read the creation narrative, again, there's this pattern with God. Because I always want to teach you something about God when you read the Bible. 
On day two, he created the water below. Guess what he does on day five? He creates fish for the water. On day two, he also created the heavens above, and on day five, he created the birds to fly in that heaven. <clears throat> on day three, he created the land and plants and trees. And on day six, who's he going to create? Humanity, man, and animals, the land, air-breathing animals. So there's this wonderful parallel that reveals something about God, and this is the point I want you to get. I create these three things, and then on the next three days, I'm going back to these three things, we see a progression. We see logic. We see order. And we, science tells us that's how our universe operates, right? But we can know and learn from science it's these things. And it would make sense that they, from a biblical perspective, operate this way because this is exactly what the Genesis the creation narrative tells us. This is how God worked through Abraham, by the way. He knew what he was going to do with Abraham, and he revealed his will in stages and progressions. As Abraham was ready, he could handle more. As Abraham was ready more, he could handle more. On and on and on. It's a progressive revelation of God's will. It's like he's laying the building blocks each time. Abraham, at 75 years old, was not able to sacrifice his son when he was over 100. He didn't have the faith. It hadn't matured yet. You see? So he couldn't ask him that at 75 years of old. He could ask him after 100 because he had the faith. That's how it works. And if you think about the creation narrative, it just makes sense. The six days of creation, they're just wonderfully balanced. Now I want to show you something that I mentioned earlier and draw your attention back to lights. On day one, God created light to separate. He does the same thing on day four. When God created light on day one, there was no sun, moon, or stars. You see that? The light he created gave light to his creation on a 24-hour day cycle. <clears throat> on day four, here's the key. He attaches the light he created to those luminaries, i.e. to the sun, moon, and stars. And here's the point. Light is not created by the sun, the moon, or the stars. You catch that? Who created light? He simply attached the light he created to the sun and the moon and the stars. So when you see out, you know, it's clouded, there's clouds, but there's light because it's a day and the sun is shining, and that's where we get the light from. No. We get light from the sun because God created light and attached it to the sun. You see that? That's why the sun shines. Light is simply created by God and attached to these luminaries. In this account of the creation of the lights, it's, it's actually really, really profound if you study it because it reveals three purposes of light. And I never thought of this until I studied this, and it's actually quite fascinating. Each of these purposes is introduced by the phrase, let there be or let them. Did you catch that? Let there be or let them. Here's the first purpose of light we see. It's separation. Pretty simple, Genesis 1.14. Then God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So the first purpose of light is separate the day 
from the night. This affirms that a day, actually what, three days existed without the sun, right? Without the moon, without the stars. So I'm going to remind you that the sun is not the cause of daylight because there had already been three periods of daylight and three periods of dark before day four. But from that point on in creation and all of human experience, it is the sun that brings light in the day and it is the moon and stars that bring light, of course, in the night. Exactly. Now, the second thing that light does, its second purpose is this, it's determination. I'll explain this in a minute. Look at verse 14. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. <laughs> and this is what I found absolutely fascinating because I never thought of this. Once again, we see the phrase, and let them, and this introduces a second purpose to determine. Now it says, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Now, this is interesting. The phrase, let them be, is a verb. It means to serve. I did not know that. To serve. Therefore, God gave these luminous bodies, sun, moon, and the stars, to serve. They're servants. How do they serve? Well, they serve God in the fulfilling their, their design, their purpose, but they also serve the inhabitants. They are signs to us, the inhabitants of the earth and the animals that point to seasons and to days and to years. And to be more specific, the lights divide the year into seasons and into days. So you have seasonal times as well as calendar times. God created time, right? It makes sense that built into his creation is a way to measure time or to tell time, right? So you take, for example, the moon. It determines the month, right? And in the course of the movement of the moon, it also generates the seasons. If you take, for example, the sun, beyond light and heat, the sun does the same thing as the moon. Determine the month, and in its orbit, the sun generates the seasons. But you also consider the wonderful fact of God's creative genius. Because the earth is tilted on its axis, it causes the sun to be at varying distances from this, its surface at different points on the globe at different times of the year, and of course we call those what? Seasons. All that produces seasons, and the seasons are critical for the renewing of life. We're in a, the period of death, aren't we? It's winter. What follows death? Spring, which is life, right? Then there'll be the growing of the crops. There'll be the flourishing of the earth again in the summer, and the harvest in the fall, and the food for the dead period, and so on. All this is written for the overall blessing of mankind. Okay? But God also designed the sun and the moon to serve in the matter of days because a 24 hour day is simply determined by the fact that that's a cycle from what? Sunrise to sunset, or sunrise to sunrise, or morning and evening. In one period of time where the sun is shining, in one period of time where the night is lit by the moon and stars, that is called a 
day. And finally, God, in turning the orbit of the earth around the sun, and the orbit of the moon around the earth, determined a day. A day that is determined by the earth's rotation around its axis. One 24-hour period is the time of the earth's rotation. But it is also true that the sun is a determiner of years. Did you know that? It determines our years. Because it takes one full year for the rotating earth, each rotation meaning the day, to continue its orbit all the way around the sun. And how long does it take for that to happen? 365 days. So God created the sun. Watch this. It determines or dominates in a sense that it governs life on earth. So the sun is the agency by which our time in light and dark is determined, is the agency along with the moon by which seasons are determined, is the agency by which the calendar year is determined. (laughs) Therefore, we can say it is the celestial bodies of the sun, the moon, and the stars, or light, basically, that dictate, dominate, or determine our lives. Why are you here at this time on this day, Sunday, and not here 12 hours from now? Because it's day, and this is when we worship. 12 hours from now, at roughly 11.20, most of you, if not all of us, will be where? Sleeping, right? Who determines that? The light. The light. Now, there's some of us that are nocturnal, right? But very few. Some of us that have to work at night and we sleep during the day, but most of us live at, we're awake at, on the day and we are asleep at night. We wear clothing, extra clothing this year, this time of year, because we're in a season of winter. Where are we on the axis of the Earth's rotation in, in relation to the sun? Farther away, right? The light is determining the temperature. It's determining what you wear. It's determining, you know, how many people at 11.30 at night tonight will be eating? But you're going to eat, you're already eating, and you'll eat later on in the daylight. You see how it just, it completely controls and, and, and determines so much. They determine our lives. Light determines our lives. They dictate to us when we work, when we eat, when we're awake, when we sleep, when we eat, when we don't eat. And if you also want to take this a little further, but in Romans 1, remember this, it teaches us that God's creation reveals something about his existence and his nature. And God exists in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Spirit. We find Trinity in creation, time, space, and matter. We've been over that. But we also see a picture of the Trinity in day four. Because consider this. It's the rotation of the earth on its axis that determines the 24-hour day. There's one. It's the rotation of the moon's orbit around the earth that determines the month, two. And it's the earth's rotation around the sun that determines the year. See that? So determination, that's the second purpose of light. It also... Obviously, illumination. Verse 15. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. 
Again, we find the phrase, let them be. The purpose of the luminary bodies is to provide light on the earth. And God reinforces this point in verses 16 and 17. I'm going to define it for you, God says. He made the two great lights. The greater light to govern the day. And again, it's governing us, folks. We submit to it. And the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. This is fascinating. I'm without the last page of my sermon. Because I have this. What if the sun disappeared for a week? Okay. I can go print out the last page if you really want me to, but I've got half of this because there's a little bit more of the sermon. Writer Christopher Opser answers this question in an article he wrote about some time ago. If, let me go back. If the sun disappeared, what would happen? Well, the day would bleed into night in about eight and a half minutes. The time it takes for the sun's light to reach us here on earth. We would battle psychological issues as we fend off the urge to sleep. It'd be night all the time. How many of you are sleeping more? I am because it's darker earlier, right? The earth would get cold and dark pretty quickly if the sun were to disappear for a week. The cold spell would be less severe and not as immediate as the shift to near darkness. There are more points, but I don't have the pages. Do you want me to go print it out real quick? Okay, all right. I can't believe I didn't print this out. Is it not in here? Did I accidentally mess this up somewhere? No? This has been one of those technological challenging days. We have problems with the computer this morning and uh, in the fellowship hall. I will be right back. I've always wanted to do this, by the way, to get up and leave and go to the office and come back in the middle of a sermon, so I get to, get to do this. So I'll be right there. Hold on a second. Buddy? Nope. The printer was out of paper. 
felt like the right size. Okay, where are we? All right. What if the sun disappeared for a week? Okay. Three more points. The plant's temperature would drop to about zero degrees Fahrenheit over the course of a week. That's certainly chilly, but it's not enough to freeze off the human race and other forms of life on the planet, at least not right away. Now, no sun would mean also what? No photosynthesis. The process by which plants convert sunlight into energy. As plant life begins to wither and die, guess what? Animals that eat it would be left without sustenance. But the big thing would be this. The sun has a diameter roughly 100 times. By the way, the sun doesn't rise, just so you know that. The earth rotates, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it doesn't go up and down. It's always there. We're just, you get the idea. Now, the sun has a diameter of roughly 100 times that of Earth and exerts a gravitational pull on all the planets in our solar system. Gravity causes our planet to circle around that big star in the sky, and without gravity, the planets would simply float off into space. So among other dangers, Earth could eventually slam into a comet that week, a meteor, or even into another planet. Now, by the show of of hands, in all your existence, and I would go on to say in all the existence of the universe, has the sun ever not risen for a week? I mean, it always is there, right? Well, why? Well, look at just once, Genesis 1.15. And it was so. It was so. We find this forward four-word phrase, and it was so at the end of verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 7 details the creation of the expanse of the heavens, the sky or space. Verse 9 details the creation of dry land and seas. In all your years of, of you know, the 10, 20 to 80 to 90 years of existence of the age range of everybody in this room, have you ever woken up in the, in the ocean? <laughs> because the dry land is gone. Has the heavens and the skies ever fallen on you or collapsed? No. No. This four-word phrase, and it was so, simply means it was made permanent. So the heavens, dry land, and waters, and the lights in the heavens consisting of the sun, moon, and stars, and the cycle of days, months, and years, it is firm it is fixed, it is established condition, and it will remain so through all the life of the universe as God decreed. After the flood, God reaffirmed this. Remember this? I destroyed everything, I'm not gonna do it again. There will always be, while the earth remains, what? Seed time and harvest. And cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And why can God say this? Well, because it's very clear. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He spoke in existence and he keeps it in existence. Now, this is, believe it or not, this truth has far-reaching implications for us. I just want to give you two quick points here. I want you to find comfort 
This first point, knowing that while the earth remains, everything is going to function the way it has always functioned. Okay? We have this fascination with a meteor slamming into the, the earth or of massive flooding happening due to climate change, right? And all these great movies that they'll be watching, they're always sci-fi movies and so on. But you can go to sleep at night knowing that the expanse of the heavens, space, it's not going to collapse on you. The waters will remain in their appointed locations. There will always be dry land. The sun and the moon and the stars will remain in the heavens and give light and provide us with time in the form of days, months, and years. We sort of take this for granted, right? And yet some of us, Far too many of us fall for the lies of the world. There will continue to be seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. The second point is that believers shouldn't fall for the lies of the world. They should not believe the lie of the current climate change alarmists. They claim rising sea levels, shrinking mountain glaciers, accelerating ice melt in Greenland, Antarctica, in the Arctic, shifts in flower and plants becoming, or plants blooming, are irrefutable facts that these proponents recite. Folks, do you really think that we humans have the ability to destroy the universe? <laughs> do we have enough power to do that? No, we do not. Okay. Now, if you want a more complete argument from a, a scientific perspective that's an easy read, I recommend reading Don't Buy the Latest Climate Change Alarmism it's by Bjorn Lomberg of the New York Post from August 9th of 2021, where he responds to the, the Global Climate Change Conference and the results that they put out and so on. And, of course, the climate change cult people jumped all over it and so on and so forth. If we're going to be more, and I'm all for you know, less fossil fuels and stuff like that, but here's the reality. That if you're going to go electric, do you know what it, how damaging it is to create those electric batteries to our, our environment? That's a much bigger footprint, for sure. Yeah. But that being said, um, this is not the purpose of this sermon, but you don't have to worry about that. That's the point. God said it was so. It has always been that way, okay? And it will always be that way until he decides, I'm going to destroy the earth and the universe and create a new one, a new heaven and a new earth. But I do want to say this. I want to talk briefly about the innumerable stars because perhaps the most understated five words that have ever been written by man, and I mean this in all sincerity, and reveal the astonishing depth of humility that God possesses are found at the end of Genesis 1.16. Look at this. They read like they're a mere footnote. He made the stars also. That is all that it says. There's a sun and the moon and lights and all that. And oh, by the way, he made the stars also. Let me put this into perspective for you. There are deep field images from the Hubble Space Telescope that suggest there are 10 times more galaxies in the universe than scientists previously thought. With about 2 trillion galaxies in total, 
This is according to a study published on October of 2016 in the journal Science by Christopher Conselis. He's a professor of astrophysics at the University of Nottingham. He's supposed to be an expert. About 100 million, or that's 10 to the 8th power, stars inhabit the average galaxy. And that's according to our best estimates. But multiplying the number of galaxies, which is about 2 trillion, by the 100 million stars in the galaxies suggests that there could be about 10 raised to the 20th power stars in the universe. That, my folks, is a lot of stars. And the psalmist references creation when he writes, God spoke all these stars into existence. And again, I'm so envious of God. He speaks and it is done. I wish my children would learn that. Empty the trash. It's done. He says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. That's Psalm 33, 6. So not only did God create the innumerable stars, this is just mind-boggling, do you know that he leads them, calls them all by name, and not one of the stars wants to stray, but is kept in their orbit by his power? Look at this. I love this verse. Lift up your eyes on high. In other words, everyone do that. Look up, and you can look out tonight, and you're going to do that. And if it's clear sky, look at this, the moon and the, and the stars and see who has created these stars. And now you know that there is, what, 10 to the 20th is what I said? Stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He has numbered them all. He calls them all by name. So he has 10 to 20th power names available to him. I forget my wife's name some of the time. Okay? Now watch this. Because of the greatness of his might. Now if there are 10 to the 20th power stars out there, there's a good chance that it's going to be a little crowded, right? We think, right? But because the greatness of his might and the strength of his power... Not one of them is missing. It's not like God likes it. Who are you? I don't recognize you. He knows them all. All of a sudden, if there are 8 billion people on this planet, that number seems pretty small, doesn't it? And of those 8 billion, let's assume that, what, 25% may be believers? I based it off the fact of the parable of the sower, Right? Four seeds, 25% are the true, okay? And he knows, the Bible says, not only your name, and it's easier for me, the hair on my head. <laughs> he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. And so when you think of all that happened on day four, he's created the heavens you know, the, the separation of the waters, the expanse of the heavens. He now fills them with 10 to the 20th power of, of, of stars, and there's a sun and moon and so on. And they're giving off light. The complexity of all of that, that they stay in orbit, everything, is, and the precision is just mind-boggling. It's staggering. So you look up and you think that stars in the same place <coughs> stay in the same place all the time, right? They do not. They are moving. 
They're moving so relatively slow to the viewpoint of Earth that they appear to be in the same place all the time. And we chart our courses by them, but the stars are moving. Our own sun is taking our entire solar system and dragging it from one end of the universe to the other in an orbit that is huge. Remember that? That's what our sun is doing. In fact, the whole Milky Way galaxy is in an orbit that scientists calculate takes 225 million years to complete. And everything else is in corresponding orbit, not colliding into each other. The complexity, again, the precision, the power to hold all that together, and it is all doing it now as it has been since creation, exactly what God designed it to do by a simple spoken word. That is power. And folks, he created all of this for us. The pinnacle of his creation so that we may praise and glorify him. And so, you know, I find myself repeating the same application point, it seems like. Praise God for his wonderful creation, which is why we're going to sing it once again. We sang it about a month ago, How Great Thou Art, the old hymn. It's so fitting. So stand with me, and let's close with this song. Father, you are indeed great beyond our comprehension, and yet you love us so intimately and personally. How you even long, desire for our fellowship. Thank you for this morning, and may this last song and our worship for you be pleasing to your ears. Amen.